Hello, and welcome to this edition of TMLT's podcast, Tech Telemedicine Tomorrow, Answers for Healthcare's Digital Trends. I'm your host, Tony Pasolacqua. Today, I have special guest, John Opelt. He's the executive director at the Texas Alliance for Patient Access, also known as TAPA, and Brian Dittmar from TMLT's Claims Department. He is our Senior Regional Claims Manager and Director of Government Relations. Our topic today is 2021 legislative session and how it might impact you. Hello, John. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am the uh, Executive Director of Texas Alliance for Patient Access, a position I've held for the past 17 years. TAPA is a statewide organization comprised of doctors, hospitals, nursing homes, physician liability carriers, and charity clinics. We were formed in 2003 for the purposes of passing and preserving effective medical liability reforms. In 2003, we knocked it out of the park, passing what many people consider the national gold standard in medical liability language and have kept those reforms intact for the past eight legislative sessions. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You bet. Thanks, Tony. I have been working at TMLT in the claims department for a little over 28 years now. I've seen all types of professional liability claims asserted against physicians and healthcare providers, watched as the tides of liability have ebbed and flowed back uh, in 2003 when lawsuits were out of control against physicians, as well as seen the beneficial effects of tort reform that was passed uh, thereafter. So uh, I'm currently the Director of Government Relations, and it's, I'm fortunate enough to work closely with John in pursuing our legislative initiatives. So thank you guys very much for your introduction. So COVID-19 has had a huge impact to our healthcare system, especially last year. One area of concern we hear from our physicians is how the public health crisis will impact their future liability. Are there any current COVID liability bills? Uh, yes, TAPA is advancing uh, such a bill. It is uh, Senate Bill 6. I don't know what the House number is going to be. But it is encapsulated inside a larger bill called a Pandemic Liability Protection Act. And so within that bill is a uh, COVID liability protection bill, which affects physicians. And there's also another aspect called a trigger immunity bill, which is forward looking. We can talk about that in more detail. Can you tell me a little bit more about the COVID liability bill? Sure. The COVID liability bill provides liability protections for physicians, healthcare providers, healthcare institutions, and first responders treating uh, patients affected by the COVID pandemic. So it, it affects both known COVID patients, suspected COVID patients, and care that in some way was affected by the COVID pandemic, meaning care that was denied, delayed, or impacted by COVID. 32 states have passed some type of COVID liability legislation, whether through executive order or state laws. Uh, Texas is not among them. Clearly, we should be. Our legislature meets every other year. So this is the first time that we've had an opportunity to advance such legislation. Uh, Governor Abbott earlier this month declared uh, pandemic liability reform as an emergency issue, a priority of his. A few days ago, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick issued his list of priorities for the upcoming session, and he declared, declared pandemic liability reform as one of his priorities and named it Senate Bill 6. 
in some respects, if you're looking for how important a bill is perceived or how quickly it might move through the legislature, that might be indicated by the number that the legislators, either the House Speaker or the Senate leader, who is the Senate Governor, sets. And so being that this was named Senate Bill 6, that is highly encouraging to us. And uh, leadership is told that they will give this matter swift consideration. Brian, do you have anything that you would like to add? I, I do. I just want to uh, emphasize that this is not an attempt at what some people might characterize as additional tort reform. Rather, this is more of us pursuing temporary protections for health care providers related solely to the pandemic. This is not something that is going to continue into infinity. These protections uh, will expire once the uh, pandemic liability issues expire. John, is there anything else that you would like to add? I would. The uh, Texas legislation is will be retroactive. That means it would start March 13, 2020, the date that Governor Abbott declared COVID a public health emergency. Other states should use the date of emergency declaration as the start date of their COVID liability laws. Incidentally, 32 states, either through executive order or state law, have granted healthcare workers and facilities limited liability protections in battling COVID. Texas do the same. There are basically three core elements that we believe must be in the COVID bill. It must be retroactive. It must allow for a higher standard of care, not simple negligence, but gross negligence or willful and wanton, that the physician had to do something that was consciously indifferent to the welfare or safety of their patient. Uh, It's a higher standard. It's the same standard that applies in Good Samaritan law and that is applied in emergency care law in Texas since 2003. And lastly, we believe that it should also affect cases that were impacted by COVID, not just a known and suspected COVID patient, but care that was affected by the pandemic. In talking with legislators, they tried to ask us, can you give us a demarcation line saying what should apply and what should not? So let me just start with what should not. Kansas's COVID bill, they said that healthcare services not related to COVID-19 that have not been altered, delayed, or withheld as a direct response to the COVID public health emergency should not be protected. And I, I think that's reasonable. Now, let's talk about issues that we believe should be protected. And these are real examples. A non-COVID patient arrived by ambulance at a rural hospital immediately after a car wreck. His injuries required transfer to a higher level facility. Three hospitals refused to accept the patient because they were full due to COVID. The original hospital had to treat the patient as best they could without an ICU or any specialist. Our COVID liability bill will protect them from a lawsuit for trying but failing to complete the transfer successfully. Tell me a little bit more about another example. A hospital bought a video baby monitor from Walmart which was 42 miles away from the hospital. They put it in a patient's room because the patient kept pulling out his oxygen cannula, causing him to become hypoxic. The hospital was short-staffed because several nurses were off work with COVID. Consequently, they could not check on him as frequently as they would have liked to. The baby monitor allowed the nurses to look at the patient on video each time they passed by the nurse's station. Technically, this Jimmy Riggs solution was a HIPAA violation because the screen had to face the hallway. 
our COVID bill would protect the attending doctors and nurses from liability. Uh, during the certain periods of the pandemic, hospitals were required to suspend elective surgery and non-emergency procedures to free up bed space and PPE. While a delay in performing surgery or procedures for non-acute or chronic conditions is usually without adverse events, there may be small yet legitimate risk of an adverse outcome due to delay. For example, a patient with a history of reoccurrent abdominal pain is diagnosed with gallstones, resulting in a partially obstructed bile duct. But without evidence of complications, surgery is delayed for a month. If, if something happens within that 30-day period, we do not believe that the doctor or the hospital should be accountable because they were abiding by the mandatory no uh, surgery procedures that the governor had invoked. Brian, is there anything that we look for specifically for our COVID liability bills? I, I just want to reiterate what John said. We absolutely want a bill that provides liability protections for healthcare providers treating conditions other than the COVID itself, meaning healthcare providers that provide treatment that was impacted, sort of the, the delay in diagnosis cases. Perhaps a patient's cancer was not timely diagnosed because the patient could not be seen in person, could not come in for labs, that sort of thing. Those are the types of protections we're looking for. John, you were talking a little bit earlier about trigger immunity bills. Can you explain to our listeners what trigger immunity means? Sure. When we were investigating what other states had done in passing COVID bills, we saw that Maryland had invoked protections, but I could not find that they'd actually passed a COVID bill. Further research revealed that years ago they had passed what is referred to as a trigger immunity bill, which means that when the governor declares an issue a statewide public health emergency, certain liability protections would be immediately put in place for healthcare providers. So Maryland has had this statute on the books for years, and after COVID, several other states, Delaware, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Virginia, also passed a trigger immunity bill. So think of it this way. Our COVID liability bill is retroactive. It begins March 13th and would extend until the end of the pandemic, 60 days after the governor has listed his, lifted his declaration. The trigger immunity bill is forward-looking. It, it concedes that there may be some type of a man-made or natural disaster in the future and we ought to have liabilities protections in place. We were hopeful that we could get an executive order from Governor Abbott regarding the COVID pandemic. The governor, as best we can tell, did not feel that he had the statutory authority to do so. So this would give Governor Abbott or any future governor the ability to trigger immunity protections. Uh, I, I was asked about the recent winter storm that we had. Would, would that be a candidate? Well, yes, it would. That is the sort of thing that would be protected through trigger immunity. However, in this instance, it will not because it is triggered for a future event. So there are no liability, special liability protections that would be accorded to healthcare providers during uh, the recent winter storm, though we believe that they should for a, a variety of reasons. But uh, that would be a piece of legislation that would be put in place that could be used years from now if and when either the governor or the president of the United States declared a statewide public health emergency. 
Do we have any current legislation that includes that trigger immunity clause? The trigger immunity clause is something that we are introducing as part of the larger pandemic bill. So in the broad pandemic bill, Senate Bill 6, it addresses not just health care, but products liability, gubernatorial powers, emergency management, and safe harbor protections for businesses, schools, and churches that abide by local, state, and federal COVID public safety protocols. In that bill, the Capital Legal Team, working with the Texas Medical Association and the Texas Hospital Association, spent months drafting proposed language. Two components. One was COVID liability protections for healthcare providers and healthcare institutions who operate in good faith when treating known or suspected COVID patients or patients who are some way impacted by the pandemic. And then second of all is the trigger immunity legislation where we saw value in such legislation being introduced at this time. So that trigger immunity language is a component of SB6, the Pandemic Liability Protection Act. Brian, do you have anything that you would like to add? Uh, only that it's unfortunate that we don't already have this trigger liability immunity with respect to this winter storm. Uh, you've already seen news reports about lawsuits being filed against various entities. Many of those entities will already have immunities and patients tend to look for sources of recovery. And I'm fearful that those claims could fall to healthcare providers during the storm. So such a law would have provided protections for those health care providers. We may still be able to successfully defend those health care providers, but the question becomes, should we really have to pay for their defense in the first place? Uh, should there be a cause of action that should be allowed? I don't think that there should be. I think that these liability protections should have been triggered when the disaster was declared. John, you were talking a little bit about the retroactivity of the pandemic liability bill. Uh, can you kind of talk to us a little bit more about that. Is there any additional hurdles that come with trying to make a bill retroactive? Well, there is. It's, it's a rarity that you see laws passed that are retroactive, but they can be constitutional. The Texas Supreme Court has said that if the subject of a lawsuit has wide public importance, that it can be retroactive. And certainly COVID would uh, fall within that realm as being a major public health event. So we, we, we think that we're on sound, sound ground regarding the request that it be retroactive. And we've also introduced legislative findings that really kind of drive home that point. So it will be challenged, but I think that we'll be successful. And I might add that many other states have passed retroactive COVID bills. In fact, of the 18 states that have passed COVID legislation, 11 have implemented retroactive start dates. That's very interesting. Brian, do you want to add anything to the retroactive stance on the pandemic liability bill? Uh, not really. I, I do believe that uh, there is legal precedent to add a retroactivity clause. So that's something that definitely should be part of any bill that's passed. John, do you feel that the standard of care definition may have changed during the pandemic? determine what standard of care should be during the pandemic. 
there's been so many extenuating circumstances that have altered the delivery of care, making it not normal. That may be the lack of PPE for the providers. It may be the lack of testing. It may be the inaccuracy of tests, the lack of medications, lack of ventilators, physicians performing care outside their normal specialty within their licensure, but outside of their normal specialty of medicine. Medicine is doing everything they can to meet this pandemic head on. Understand it is an emergency and should be treated as an emergency. In Texas, we have a higher standard for the delivery of emergency care. We think that same standard, which applies to emergency care and good Samaritan law, should apply in the delivery of care during the pandemic as well. So physicians were completely inundated during the public health crisis, including the almost overnight closing of practices, transition to telemedicine, and delay of elective surgeries. Is that an area that physicians already have protections in, or is that something that's being covered by the pandemic liability bill? It is being cared, uh, addressed by the pandemic liability bill, but no, today that would not be a protection that they are normally accorded. Brian, do you have anything else to add? I will. I'll echo that. Uh, right now, physicians are subject to any other type of professional negligence claim, sort of irrespective of whether or not the care was affected by closures, delays, or postponement of elective surgeries, that sort of thing. Uh, there, there are no uh, special provisions in the law currently that would prevent lawsuits against physicians in those circumstances. John, do you have anything else to add? I do. There are two federal bills that have been passed. One, the PREP Act guarantees immunity to those who manufacture, distribute, administer, use, coordinate drugs and devices used to combat COVID. That bill has existed since May, I believe. In addition to that, the CARES Act was passed, which provided immunity for healthcare providers who are volunteers operating in good faith and within the scope of their volunteers licensure. We're talking about expanding that volunteer protection to include all healthcare providers. Right now, as of this day, Texas healthcare providers who have put their lives and livelihoods on the line in providing care to COVID patients receive no higher protections than they otherwise would in any other circumstances. And we think that that's just wrong. The public is appreciative of the work that doctors and nurses have done throughout the COVID pandemic. And yet they deserve more than praise. They deserve and they need liability protection. And Senate Bill 6 will give them the protections that they deserve. Brian, do you have anything else to add? Uh, only that these are extraordinary times. Healthcare providers need more than ordinary laws that protect them on their day-to-day -day basis. So we've just covered several bills that are very advantageous towards physicians. Are there any bills that could potentially hurt any liability or tort reform? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, we track bills, bills that we believe are potentially troublesome to uh, healthcare providers, and among them is House Bill 501, which would index the non-economic cap. The cap is $250,000. It pertains to non-economic damages, hard-to-define subjective harm. 
If that bill were successful, it would the count would immediately jump from two hundred fifty thousand to three hundred forty-two thousand dollars. We don't think that it, that should pass. But first and foremost is that most payouts today are not bumping up against the cap, so we see that there's no need for increasing the cap. Second of all, that cap is. 250,000 for one or more physicians and another 250,000 if there's a healthcare institution involved and yet another $250,000 if a unrelated healthcare institution is involved. Now in many, perhaps most lawsuits, you have both a doctor and a hospital though named. Therefore, the actual cap that is in play is $500,000. So we believe that there's adequate dollars for recovery for those who have been harmed due to some type of physician neglect. And so this always kind of brings up an interesting question um, about tort reform. So, John, could you give us a little bit feedback on, or, or Brian, whoever would like to take this question, uh, who would like to kind of talk about tort reform and, and why it is actually helpful to patients? I'll let John do that. I'd also like to just add a little bit of commentary about the damages cap. I think it's important to emphasize again that this is a cap on non-economic damages and that an injured party still has a right to unlimited recovery for lost wages, for loss of earning capacity, for loss of household services, for medical expenses, both past and future. None of those elements of damages are capped. This only applies to that nebulous non-economic damages, the pain and suffering awards. The cap allows us to more accurately predict claims outcomes and therefore provide more accurate pricing to our physician policyholders. Um, I think that's an important part of the cap and that an index, if added to the cap, would take away that predictability and would simply divert dollars from healthcare providers and ultimately from patients over to the trial lawyers. John, could you tell us what it looked like in 2003 prior to tort reform? Yes, it, uh, it was a very difficult situation in which doctors were restricting their practices, closing their practice, could not find or afford liability coverage which left patients without their doctor, or they had to travel great distance to find care. So it was a bad situation. It was thoroughly recognized by the Texas legislature that something had to be done. And with that came the passage of House Bill 4, the Medical Liability Reform Act. And what that has done, it has created an incentive for physicians to practice in the state. It, we have a reasonable liability climate, and so doctors can practice in the manner in which they were clinically trained. More doctors translates to more access to care for patients in this state. It has translated into increased charity care, uh, the availability of care in rural Texas. Because we have reasonable liability laws, they don't restrict physicians from treating what is often referred to as high-risk patients, patients with high-risk conditions. All of these things are a benefit, a benefit to the patient, and we think it's important that these reforms be protected. And Brian, we kind of were in a unique position as well for TMLT. How many uh, insurance carriers were there for medical liability leading into tort reform? 
I think there were down to four carriers in Texas in 2003. Uh, we were the only Texas-centric carrier. There were a few other national carriers, but out of the dozens and dozens that existed in years past and the dozens that exist now, uh, most had pulled out of Texas because it was an unprofitable place to do business as a professional liability insurance carrier. John, just to reiterate what you've just said, that actual cost of doing business in Texas actually caused a lot of physicians to leave this area and move to states that had better tort reform. It did. We saw physicians who retired early or relocated to another state, people who restricted their practice to remove treatment for high-risk conditions. For instance, an obstetrician would not treat patients pregnant patients with diabetes. Uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, you could not get a, an orthopedic surgeon to treat a, uh, a broken leg uh, suffered by a minor in an auto accident. The, the examples just go on and on about the restriction of care, how much more difficult it was to get care, how far patients had to travel to get the care they needed because of the crisis that was that evolved due to the inability to find or afford liability coverage. So I know we've talked a little bit about House Bill 501, which is talking about indexing the non-economic caps. How about um, House Bill uh, 1089? Is, is there anything important about that bill that our listeners should know about? House Bill 1089 relates to liability under the Texas Tort Claims Act, and it would make significant changes to that act, all of them benefiting people that sue governmental hospitals. We strongly oppose the bill. HB 1089 would raise the cap current Tort Claims Act from $100,000 to $250,000, which in turn would reduce the ability for rural hospitals and county hospitals to deliver care or on reimbursed care at that. It would allow for punitive damages, which presently are not allowed under the Texas Tort Claims Act. It would make insurance policies discoverable, where currently they are not. It would make significant liability expansions that apply to police. It does not affect the healthcare community, but affects communities at large. All told, we think that 1089 is not a good piece of legislation and we hope to see it defeated. Brian, do you have anything that you would like to add to that? I agree with John. This is a bill that we cannot support. There are protections that are rightfully provided to these rural and county hospitals, and raising their costs does nothing good for the Texas patient. And so the last bill that we were looking at talking about is Senate Bill 207. Is there anything specific about that bill that our listeners should know about? Yes. This would be an amendment of the paid or incurred bill that was passed in 2003. And simply stated, paid or incurred says that if you file suit and you get recovery, you're entitled to what was actually paid or on your behalf. You're not allowed to make a windfall against what was charged versus some type of negotiated rate with a health insurance company. And that's important because it holds down health insurance costs for all of us. The plaintiff attorneys have learned to do an end run to the existing statute, especially in trucking cases. Attorneys sometimes instruct their clients not to use their commercial health insurance so that their medical bills will be inflated. 
there are even allegations that these attorneys have medical providers in their back pockets that intentionally and unnecessarily inflate medical bills to increase case value. This bill would close certain loopholes, but in so doing, it complicates other aspects of healthcare law. So we are exploring how that bill could be amended in a fashion that would be agreeable to the healthcare community. It's a, it's a difficult situation. We certainly understand the concerns that the trucking community has. But by the same vein, we want to make sure that amending this bill does not impede on other aspects of healthcare law. Brian, do you have anything to add? I, I do. It's simply that the intent of this bill is to prevent the claims for what they call phantom damages. These are damages that can be awarded in a lawsuit, but truly do not exist. It's like claiming that um, you broke your leg when you didn't really break your leg. Uh, I want to be paid for my broken leg when I didn't break my leg. I want to be paid for these medical expenses that I never incurred. There are difficulties with this bill, and there are competing viewpoints about whether or not this should be passed, but uh, we're certainly uh, looking very closely at it to see if it can be improved in a manner that benefits all healthcare providers. Are there any other bills that either of you would like to discuss? I think there is one other bill that we haven't talked about yet. Senate Bill 232 is a bill that seeks to allow plaintiff attorneys to have a court determine whether or not their particular set of circumstances represents a healthcare liability claim before they're required to produce an expert report. And on the face of that, it, it seems reasonable. Plaintiffs shouldn't be forced to undergo the expense of producing an expert report. But the law as written has a lot of room for abuse. In other words, we can foresee this law being used to delay the resolution of lawsuits. There's also no provision in the law for an appeal of the initial ruling by the trial court. In other words, if a trial court says that if this particular set of circumstances does not represent a healthcare liability claim and thus trigger our tort reform protections, there is no way as the way the law is currently drafted to appeal that decision before the end of the case, before the case actually goes to trial and is decided by a jury, that sort of thing. So we do have significant concerns about Senate Bill 232. So what's one takeaway, John, that you would like our listeners to leave with after this podcast? This is going to be a very challenging legislative session. Uh, we have an opportunity to pass some very needed COVID liability protections. We have, a, I think, a unique opportunity to pass a trigger immunity bill. And certainly the recent winter storm shows why such a bill is needed. On the flip side, we're playing defense against yet another effort to index the non-economic cap and a bill that would erode the Texas Tort Claims Act, which make it more difficult for county hospitals and rural providers to provide care. So it's going to be an active and challenging session and uh, wish us well. Brian, how about you? Is there anything that you would like our listeners to leave with? I think it's important to recognize that every legislative session, there are efforts by our adversaries to dilute or to remove tort reform protections for healthcare providers. Uh, we saw it last session. We've seen it every session since 2003. It's a constant effort by the healthcare community to maintain those protections. As we get further away from 2003, there are fewer and fewer legislatures that were there at the time that 
recall how bad things were in Texas at the time. And so we need to constantly re-educate lawmakers about the very great benefits that have been provided by our liability protections. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are a policyholder, please feel free to contact us with any questions by calling 1-800-580-8658 or checking out our resources at tmlt.org and clicking on our resource hub. Thank you, John. Thank you, Brian, for your time. (laughs) 